He loves Noah's Ark. I don't know what that's about today. Again, good morning. It is good to see you. If you're, if you're visiting, as we said a couple times, really hope that you uh, are benefiting from your time together in worship with us as we, we join our voices and bow our heads together in prayer and, and have heard a reading already today from 1 John chapter 3. Uh, all those different things that we do that help combine to make up this, this time of worship that's special it's not the only time, I hope it's not the only time we ever worship God during our weeks. There's lots of ways and places we can go about doing that. But to have this special time set aside every week, where as Steve mentioned in his community comments, where we know that our brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world gather together on this day to do these same sorts of things. Uh, it's just uplifting. It reminds us in, in a special way how we are larger, or we're a part of something that is much, much larger than just our individual selves, and even than just our individual family of faith, our individual congregations, and it's, it's a blessing to be a part of God's big kingdom. As we continue this sermon series through the Gospel of Luke, just as you, I suppose, have noticed, I'm not trying to deal with every verse, it's, it's an impossible thing to do in the time I have kind of scheduled for it, so we're hopping around. Uh, but this week, as I started to work through, I, was, I found some things in Luke chapter 6. If you want to turn there, we'll read a section there a little bit later. And I found some things there that I thought would be appropriate and I really wanted to talk about. And <clears throat> on one hand, I thought, this is going to be one of those weeks where I have time to do a lot of other ministry stuff because this sermon's just going to, you know, it's going to prep itself. And, you know, God has a sense of humor. We all know that. And so God had fun, I think, at my expense this week because for whatever strange reason, this has been one of the hardest sermons for me to write in a long time. And I'm really not sure why. Because it's about love. And I kept, I would read and study and read and study and pray about it and, and I would ask myself, well, what, what's so hard when we're just talking about love? How hard can that be? I mean, I'm like you, and we've, we've probably, each of us have probably, if it depends on how long you've been in church, but been in church for a while, you've probably heard dozens of sermons about love. How hard can it be? We all like love. We all agree that love's a good thing. And not just the people who are in church, and not just those who are in church who are disciples of Jesus, but, but really just about everybody in the world. You know, all the same people enjoy love. They like it. They don't mind talking about it. They typically don't mind hearing about it too much either. It's not hard for us to convince people that love is a good thing. And we as Jesus' disciples who've read our Bibles and are familiar with the things Jesus taught, we know how often He talked about love, how often He showed love. We know that when a... When a a guy who was an expert in the, the Jewish law came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, what are the greatest commands? What are the most important things for us to know that we can do to honor God? Jesus said what? He, gave him, he named two, didn't he? The first was to love who? first was to love God with all of your being, everything that you are. And he said the second's like it is to love your, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that stuff. Even in our culture, which is most of the time far from godly, not always, there's some good things in our culture, but even, even in our culture, 
love is a good thing, isn't it? Isn't love a popular thing? I saw a study this past week online that was done in 2009 in this... uh, Oh, I forgot what she called herself. She was some sort of psychologist, had published in this peer-reviewed journal, and she said that in 2009 she'd done a study of 100 songs that at one point or another during the year had been listed on the top 10 of of Billboard whatever, their top hits. Yeah, that thing. And she found that 92% of those songs had something to do with either love or sex or some combination of those sorts of things. We cannot go through a day without running into something that has to do with this idea of love. But in the ways that we run into it in our culture and our society aren't always... So not only are they not always exactly what God wants, but sometimes they're polar opposites of what God wants. Because a lot of times, a lot of times when we hear about love, we think about self. And when God talks to us about love, it's almost always directed out of Him towards somebody else. In our culture, when we hear about love, sometimes we think that love is the same thing as tolerance, for example. How many of you ever hear the word tolerance? We all do at times. Tolerance is a big deal in our culture. The point of tolerance is often to to live and let live. And we know that since even Jesus would teach that we're not supposed to walk around thinking we're better than other people, we're not supposed to believe we're better than everybody else, and so sometimes some of us have come to believe that we shouldn't believe our beliefs are better either. But no, simply tolerating everything, and simply treating every idea as equal, that's, that's not what God's talking about when He talks about love. And if you think about the way love is expressed, maybe in your life or in your house or in, in the world at large on yesterday, Valentine's Day, That's good. I mean, romantic love, the ushy-gushy-gooey kind of love, all that's good. God made it for us to enjoy. I mean, there's certain boundaries He expects us to respect whenever it comes to love. But, you know, hearts and flowers and chocolates and cards and all of that stuff, that's good. But when we read about love and when we see it in the life of Jesus, the one thing we can't escape is that love is not always only an emotion. Sometimes love has no warm and fuzzy feeling at all. Real love is not primarily about myself, which means it's also not primarily about yourself. Real love is about others. It doesn't always make us feel good. Love doesn't always bring about some kind of tangible benefit to me. Love, for example, is what causes a, a poor, pregnant teenage girl to give birth to her baby, knowing that she may have to quit school and work three jobs to feed it, clothe it, and give it life. Love is what causes some of us to, to begin to let go of some of the power and, and authority, some of the desire to hold on forever so that others in our lives can learn to walk so they can grow up and experience life. Love is what causes us to give money to feed and clothe orphans around the world who most of us will never, ever meet. 
Love is why Jesus came. Love is part of the reason why, if we've been reading through Luke, Jesus wouldn't stop healing, not even on the Sabbath. Love is why Jesus was so unpopular with those in power. Love is why Jesus stood up to the Pharisees on behalf of the outcasts. Love is why God doesn't simply look down on us from heaven and feel our pain. It's why He doesn't only sympathize with us, but love instead is what moved God to come down and live a life of sacrifice for us. Because as John says in one of his letters, God is love, like we sang today. And God knows God knows better than any of us that love compels, it requires action. You and I could probably exchange stories about people that we have in our lives. Uh, Maybe people who birthed us, maybe people we birthed, uh, maybe siblings, uh, maybe any number of people in different relationships that we have that are hard to love. You don't have to name names, but, but you can admit the concept. Any, anybody in your life who, who you're sort of expected to love, but yet at times you find hard to love? It was Valentine's Day yesterday. The husbands are still scared. So, <laughs> so no one's admitting it. But you know it's true. It's not always easy to love people even when you're supposed to. Or even when you want to. Have you ever found that to be the case? You ever had somebody you wanted to love and it was a struggle? But even with that struggle, I believe that if God said to us, I I believe if we opened Scripture and His command simply said, I want you to love the people who love you back, I think we'd say, it's not always easy, God. Sometimes the people who love me are hard to love back. But if that's what you want, I can give it a try. Maybe I can do it. Because, you know, if you try hard enough, you can love your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings, if you try hard enough. But God knows that we can do even better than that. He knows that the world needs us desperately to do better than that. So think about that as we hear what Jesus said according to Luke, in Luke chapter 6, starting verse 27. Jesus said, But I say to you who hear, you know what that implies is that not everyone can hear this. Not everyone can accept this that not everyone is willing to truly listen to Jesus when He says these things. So He knew that. And yet He he teaches all of us, gives us all the opportunity to hear what He has to say so that our lives can be changed. But I say to you who hear, love those you hate. And do good to those who hate you. 
Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other cheek also. From the one who takes away your outer cloak, don't withhold your inner garment. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, don't demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, you do the same to them. For if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love the ones you hate and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will show yourself to be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful into the evil. Therefore, be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. There are a lot of things that Jesus teaches that are, are hard to hear, harder to practice. But I'm not sure if they get much more difficult than that. When Jesus says, those who are rich, give up your excess and help those in need. We look at that and we think, mm, man, that might hurt a little bit. That's going to crimp my lifestyle. That could be a challenge. But we can do it. When Jesus says to serve people or to treat people with humility and respect, when Jesus says at times even to submit your will to others so they can have their way. In other words, we don't have to be selfish. We don't have to be at the top. We don't always have to be the ones who get our way. You know, as we mature, we can work through those things. And even though we're imperfect, we can eventually get to a point where we can say, yeah, I could do that. But when Jesus says, love your enemies, which more literally means here in the text, Love the ones you hate and do good to the ones who hate you. Well, I've got to admit to you, that's hard. How do you love the ones you hate? I mean, doesn't that sound like an oxymoron? I mean, doesn't it sound like an impossibility? You see, Jesus acknowledges even in, in the statement. The implication is there that there are people who are our enemies. And it's not only people who dislike us. There are some of those around. But it's also people who we dislike. Or to be more literal, because that, that sounds nice, doesn't it? That sounds nice and genteel. But the word is actually hate. Jesus knows what our lives are like. He knows what those relationships look like. And yet He looks at us and He says, 
love them. When I read that and think about what that means and how I'm supposed to live that out, I I have to ask myself, isn't that like asking the blind to see? Isn't it asking like, isn't it the same as asking the deaf to hear? Isn't it the same as, as asking the lame to leap? Isn't it asking for the impossible? Give to those who ask without expecting anything back? Doesn't that sound foolish? Doesn't sound practical. He says to do good, to bless, to pray for the ones who actively hate you, for the ones who literally curse you, for the ones who actively mistreat you. Is God serious? If you hate them, how can you love them? You can't. You can't. Not unless you're willing to allow something to change. And it's the change that's scary. It's the change that's hard. It's the change that is so dangerous, radical. Because the sort of change that we have to undergo requires us to, in essence, let go of some of those things we like to hold on to most. The change that we have to endure, and it's enduring it, is something the Bible often calls a transformation. It allows us to have a, a to make a decision to focus less on our own injuries, to focus less on our own losses, less on our own wounds, and focus more on our enemy's need for something that will point him to God. Isn't that hard? I mean, when you're hurt, when you're taken advantage of, when you're neglected or forsaken, isn't it hard to spend time and energy thinking about the good of the one who hurt you in the first place? You see, we can't do that We can't do that when we're young and naive in our faith. What that calls for is a a maturity, is a growth. It's a faith that is so trusting in God that we allow Him to have control of our lives and our actions and our hearts. Not in a way... God doesn't require us to have warm and fuzzies about those people who've hurt us. That's not the kind of love he's talking about. But he's talking about a kind of love that is like his own, that is active and that is sacrificial 
And we say, but how do we do that? Isn't it impossible? Well, maybe it is on our own. But Scripture also teaches us that we're not on our own. Not those of us who have been baptized into Christ. Not those of us who have received His Holy Spirit. Because if you've been baptized and received the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of God dwells in you for real. Not just in theological jargon, not just in Bible speak, but for real. God is alive in you. And the extent to which God is allowed to live through you, to be seen in you, to be experienced and felt by those around you, to the extent that God is present and visible, that depends on us, on you. You do have that much control. And so when Jesus tells us to love the ones we hate, the example He points to at the end of that passage is is who? God. Who He says is our Father, who is merciful. And so if God is love and if God is merciful, then then we can be too as His children. In fact, we must be if we wish to be His children. But again, remember, this is not just a love that is emotive. It is not just a feeling. It's an attitude that moves us to action. It grows out of a desire for somebody else's good. Instead of wanting your enemy to burn in hell, it's wanting her to encounter the forgiveness of and the mercy of God. To love someone is to act on their behalf. When Jesus loved us, what did He do? He came here, and He died for us. We're commanded by Jesus to love others and to treat them like we want to be treated, like God treats us. And we know that that requires sacrifice. Significant sacrifice for somebody else's good. The kind of sacrifice that, that when seen, when we see it in the lives of others, we, we marvel at it. And it's the kind of sacrifice that often when others see it in our lives, they look with squinted eyes and tilted head, hand on the chin, thinking, what, what did I just see? How many of you have read the book or seen the movie or the musical, one of the 1,500 versions that are out there, of Les Miserables? Old French book turned into a Broadway show. Many movies have been made about it. As we are about to wrap up here, I first want to show you uh, just about a three-minute clip out of this movie that I think demonstrates in one way what this kind of love looks like. Come and suffer, you are weary. And the 
night is cold out here. Though our lives are very humble, what we have, we have to share. There is wine here to revive you. There is bread to make you strong. There's a bed to rest till morning. Rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today. Bless our dear sister and our honored guest. Silver, we caught this man red-handed. Get the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seal this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness I have saved your soul for When we live in sacrifice for others, when we're willing to suffer loss for the sake of someone else, in a way that can help to demonstrate to them mercy and forgiveness, second chances, we aren't literally saving their soul, of course. We may indeed be pointing them to the God who can. If you know how the rest of that story plays out, this man who, the thief in this scene, Jean Valjean, 
ends up changing his life. He, he runs in the movie sort of into a cathedral here and, and he sings to God, What have I done? Sweet Jesus, what have I done? Become a thief in the night. Become a man on the run. All because someone was willing to forgo his right and to offer this man another chance. Can you imagine anyone in your life who could use another chance? Can you think of those people who you hate? Are there ways by the power of God and His Spirit you can take the risk necessary to put away the hate and to find a way to love? Not only in thought, not only in emotion, but in deed and in truth. Would you stand with me? In just a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song, which gives us all, go ahead and stand if you would please, which gives us all the opportunity to come and make our needs known. For some of us need to be forgiven by God. But I wanted you to stand as I read this one final passage before Chris leads us in this song. This comes from 1 John chapter 4. We already heard from 1 John chapter 3. But in chapter 4, starting in verse 7, John, the apostle, writes this. I want you to hear these words as if he spoke them straight to you. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest us, manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And yet, if we love one another, then God truly abides in us and His love is perfected, it's completed, it's brought to its intended purpose in us. He says, no one has ever seen God. But then he makes the point that if we allow God to work in our lives, that if we continue the kind of love for others that God intends for them to know, that's how people see God. 
If you dig deep into 1 John, you understand that he's actually writing to Christians and telling them how to interact with other Christians. And so some of you who are smart (laughs) might say, well, he's talking about Christians loving Christians. That's a lot easier to do. We're all supposed to love each other. Maybe I can do that. But don't forget what Jesus said. Love the ones you hate. And do good to those who hate you. Because God loves you. If we as a church can be of any aid to you at all, we invite you to come and let us know as we sing together.